but not too much because, you know, they're married. So here's the thing. We are, we are going to uh, go into a new series today um, because we are celebrating the meaning and the significance of the resurrection. What we like to do each year is um, talk about not only Jesus' resurrection from the dead, but what it means for us as the people of God and as the church as we're going forward in our daily life. And so what we do to do that is we go back to the book of Acts, which was the first history of the church, the early church. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, the book of Acts written by the physician Luke begins to talk to us about how the church began to spread the gospel in the um, midst of the Roman Empire that did not know or acknowledge God at the time. And so it gives us great encouragement for us as a church here in the city of Chicago, even as many of us are looking to not only stand for Jesus, but actually be people who minister his good news to our friends and family members, our loved ones around us. How do we actually live as the church here in the city? And so we're going to do that for the uh, next uh, several weeks as we head towards a celebration called Pentecost, which is actually a celebration of the church where the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church of Jesus Christ for ministry, gave them boldness and power to minister as Jesus did during his earthly ministry. And so we're going to look um, through Acts, but if you've never um, actually been a part of this, for the past several years, we've been calling it Chicago Fire, um, not just because of the TV show, um, but also because of the fire that God wants to spread in our midst. And so you can um, go back and listen to some of those previous sermons. But what we're going to do today is pick up where we left off in Acts, jumping ahead to um, um, Paul and his um, companions' ministry in the city of Corinth, okay? In the city of Corinth, which if you're familiar with with your Bible, you know that there were different letters written to the church by the Apostle Paul and some of the other apostles. And one of those, or two of those letters actually were Corinthians, right? And actually him writing to the people who were reached in this city. And so we're going to find a little bit of a historic context for how he ended up there and what he did there in the midst of that. But our message today is specifically focused on what lessons we can learn from his time there. And today we're going to talk specifically specifically about Jesus and a church of eternal friendships. Jesus and a church of eternal friendships, okay? So today, if you have a Bible, you can open it with me to Acts chapter 18. If you don't have it, uh, it'll be on the screen for you, okay? Jesus and a church of eternal friendships. Okay. Our only verse for the day, Acts 1, 18, 1. After this, Paul went to Athens and went to Corinth. I'm just kidding. Continue on. Okay. <laughs> and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. 
from now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, um, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo, who was proconsul of Achaia, was uh, the Jews, <clears throat> the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, "This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law." But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, "If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime," O Jews, I would have a reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. And there we're going to end. Number one, whenever we um, think about, one moment, please. You know what I did? I just changed the password on my uh, iPad, and I've been reading this, trying to remember my password. One moment. I got it. Okay. (laughs) I was like, oh, no. And let there be light. Okay. <laughs> All right. I was like, this is going to be a sad, sad day. <laughs> I'm going to start preaching from my hip, talking about, yeah, Jesus loves you. Jesus, repent, be bad. Anyway, anyway, but we actually have a message now. Okay. So here we go. Here we go. The Bible today. <laughs> All right. So Jesus in a church of eternal friendships. Why, in fact, do we worry about friendships in the midst of the church? The reason why is we're built for friendships, are we not? We're built for friendships. We're made for friendships. Even in the world around us, it's one of the driving forces and factors in people's lives, right? Who are my people? Where do I belong? Where am I accepted? Where do I find significance, meaning, and all such things? Now, the good news of the gospel is that whenever we are brought into relationship with God, we're reconciled to him, right? Through Jesus Christ, we're actually brought back into friendship with the living God. That by nature, we were objects of God's wrath because of our rebellion against him. But the good news is because that his wrath was satisfied in Jesus Christ, right? The good news is that all the punishment that you and I deserve was put on Jesus on the cross, and through his resurrection from the dead, he gives us the opportunity for not only new life in him, but an actual friendship with the living God. Isn't that good news? Friendship with the living God. But it's not just enough in our Western culture to resign to the fact that we just have friendship with God. We need friendship with his body. 
We need friendship with one another. But most times in the church, we don't have a perspective of what God's intention is for our friendships within his body and within his church. So today, even as we look at um, Acts chapter 18 and sort of discover what God's intention was for those friendships, we're going to talk about it in these three manners. Number one, it's for the faith. We have friendships in God for the faith. We'll see that in Acts chapter 18. Number two, it's for the trial, (laughs) right? We all know that we actually have trials that we will experience in life. Jesus said in this world, you will, not maybe, but you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And in me and in in my body, you'll overcome as well. And then finally, for the purposes of God. We actually have friendships in the faith for the purposes of God, okay? For the faith, for the trial, and for the purposes of God. Now, I know some of you, even in your community groups, have actually been going through one of C.S. Lewis's classic, which is called The Four Loves. How many of you have actually read that before, The Four Loves, or have been in a community group that's done it? It's an excellent book, okay? Talking about the uh, different loves of God that he describes throughout scripture. Today, we're going to focus on the friendship love, but we're going to get encouragement from some of the things that we see in Acts. Now, whenever we um, think, first of all, about for the faith, God gives us relationship with him, but then he gives us friendships to help us in our faith in God. How many people know that this is not a solo sport? Okay, this is not a solo sport. Last week we were talking about uh, Tiger Woods and his comeback, right? During the uh, U.S. Open after 11, um, um, I'm sorry, after his Masters um, win. And after 11 years, he was able to make it back. But how many people know that he didn't get to the place of initial victory or his return victory on his own? How many people know that? He did not get to his place of initial victory or his return victory on his own. One of the things if some of you in in an HR department in your workplace that you utilize to coordinate things in work is you're familiar with the software Workday. Has anybody ever uh, heard of Workday before and that uh, sort of software program? Well, like Tiger Woods' uh, caddy was actually part of that commercial before where he was talking about actually having a caddy that helps you win in business, having a caddy that helps you win in life and in the church we all need friendships that will help us to win, right? And so in the midst of this walk with God that you see that Paul and his traveling companions had given themselves to, Paul ends up in Corinth. And in the middle of Corinth, he, he has the option, he had just come from Athens, which was in the middle of uh, the center of intellectual life and thought in the Hellenized world. But then he went on to uh, uh, Corinth, and there in Corinth, he had the same ambition and the same desire to grow in God, to minister the good news of God, but he knew that God had never called him to do it alone. Paul was erudite. He had great fruit and great success in his previous ministry in different cities. But when he went to Corinth, one of the first things that he did is he said, my continued growth, my continued walk with God, my growing in the knowledge of God, the grace of God, and also the life of God is going to be inextricably bound to the people that I'm connected to. It is not going to be just something that I do on my own. So one of the first things that Paul did is he found people with whom he could walk. And in this spiritual, um, in this spiritual um, life in our modern westernized world, so many people are used to trying to do it on their own. They're used to saying, it's just about me and Jesus. 
It's just about my personal walk with God, my personal faith. But how many people know that if Paul the apostle, who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament letters by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, needed some friends to grow in the knowledge, grace, and life of God, you will too. How many people know that? We are not above Jesus the Christ, our master, but we're not above our leaders who've gone before us. We're not above those who've gone before us and set an example of not only life, but of lifestyle. And the friendship that he immediately looked for was with a Jew, a fellow Jew named Priscilla and Aquila. They were a couple, a married couple. And he said that they were tent makers as he was. So he decided to partner, come alongside of them, live with them. And some of you have come here because of school. Some of you have come here merely because of work. Some of you have grown up here, but as you've like gone on in your great in the knowledge and grace of God, it's sort of like it caused a little rift in terms of the community that you are used to because you have a new master, a new direction, and a new way that you're going. But how many people know that despite relocation for work, academics, or because you're now following Jesus, God's got relational provision for you? God's got relational provision for you in the different seasons of life in which you find yourself. And whatever season he find, you find yourself in right now, he's got friendship for you. He's got friendship with himself, and he's got friendship with his people that will help you grow in the grace, the knowledge, and the life of God. It is for the faith that God gives you friendships. C.S. Lewis talked about it this way. He actually was quoting, first of all, uh, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson when he said this, that Emerson said, do you love me actually means do you see the same truth? Or at least do you care about the same truth? Many times what we're comfortable with in our, um, our communities, in our lifestyles, is we're so desperate for carnal companionship just having a warm body next to us that will sacrifice that which God actually intends for us in authentic God-given friendship because we'll just receive it or accept it from anybody, right? It's very dangerous in dating relationships, as an example, right? In dating relationships, just to be with somebody, somebody will receive anyone who will give them attention, despite their faith, despite their convictions, despite their, you know, their, uh, their real trajectory in life. They'll say, I'm willing to just be, I just need companionship. I'll just be with somebody. And in the end, as God said it would, it ends up in trouble, does it not? Because when you're trying to serve God and they're going in a different direction, what happens is that eventually those convictions are at odds with one another, and then one person buckles to another. And whether it be in terms of sexual immorality or in terms of the faith itself, someone bows to another, and usually it's not the unbeliever bowing to the believer. It's usually the Christian losing their convictions in the midst of the relationship with the non-Christian. Anybody ever seen that before? Because of the fact that you're already in a fight of faith. You're already trying to, even as a single person, live the fight of faith and walk wholeheartedly for God. And when you have somebody who is not concerned about the same truth with a noose around your neck relationally pulling you down, you're going to go down. That's why the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. 
single people. Hello? Isn't that okay to say? He says, do not be unequally yoked. What does righteousness have in common with unrighteousness? What does darkness have in common with light? What does the temple of idols have in common with the temple of God? The answer is nothing. He says, be equally yoked, have the same truth, and then go on in it. Go on in it. And if you're married already, that's okay. Listen, you encourage your spouse. Even if your spouse isn't a believer yet, you encourage them. You pray for them. You exhort them unto the truth. But the friendship that God desires is basically a truth-centered, I'm sorry, a relationship, a friendship centered around that same truth. And there's a difference between carnal companionship and God-ordained friendship. We should yearn for the latter, the greater. Why? Because this is what gives friendship its foundation. It's what gives friendship its in foundation. God wants relationships not to be seasonal and momentary, but to last. But to last. Isn't that true? Whether it be your friendships, in, which are platonic, or your basically romantic relationships, which ultimately lead to marriage, right? He wants them to last. He wants them to grow and to thrive. But you've got to be building on a common foundation for that to happen. Don't lose your convictions for the sake of carnal companionship. Find the friendship that's only found in Christ and in his purposes. He, he, C.S. Lewis went on to say it this way, talking about the distinction between carnal companionship and actually biblical friendship, as we see with Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, and Silas, and Timothy. He said, friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share, and which, till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The moment, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one meaning that at first it seems awkward, right? Even in God-given, authentic friendship, godly friendship, sometimes it can be awkward. You want to choose your friends sometimes because based on these pre-qualifications that you have in your minds. Anybody have that in their minds if they're honest? These are the people that I like. These are the types of people I get along with. These are the types of people I, I prefer to roll with. And that, you know, I don't like the corny people over here. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Be honest now. These are, these are my crew, right? But unfortunately, your crew and the taste that you have in your mouth is sometimes too worldly to actually appreciate the people God's giving you for authentic godly friendship. And the people that God wants to give you in godly friendship, it might be awkward at first. You might not get each other at first. You know what I'm talking about? In my, in my college days, I remember we had what was called a covenant group. And a covenant group was like an accountability group. And they were vastly different than myself. Vastly different. I had just gotten saved, and I was like, my goodness, I couldn't have less in common with these dudes. You know? And I was like, uh, you know, I'll go and open my Bible. That was the only thing we had in common, that we read the same Bible. They didn't like the same music. They didn't have the same style. They didn't like doing the same things, but we were committed to this covenant group. And it was awkward at first, 
We get there and stare at each other, and then like we confess things and be like, you know, listen, man, this week went like this for me. I did this. I need to repent of this. And they were like, cool. Because they had no idea what I was talking about. Why? Because they didn't come from my world. They didn't come from my world. But you know what? Where we found common ground was in the Word of God. And regardless of what background we came from, we were able to center around the centerpiece of Jesus Christ and build from there. And then, guess what? Years later, as we built in God together with this people who couldn't have been more different on the natural level, they were some of my best men at my wedding. Not because they had to be, but we had gone so deep past the awkwardness, past the yummy moments of, I don't get you, to we're actually building on something together. We're growing in the word and the life and the grace of God, and nothing can separate us now because of that. That's what he's talking about here. Past the initial awkwardness. Some of the greatest treasures of your life, you're going to have to get through awkwardness to get to find the treasure. You might remember Jacob's wives. Yes, I said wives, plural, right? Leah and Rachel. Leah was the one he wasn't so interested in. She had weak eyes. And I'm like, how offensive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Rachel, on the other hand, it said, was lovely in form, meaning she had sex appeal to her, right? What Jacob preferred was, Rachel, give me Rachel, give me Rachel. But who the Christ came through was Leah. Who Jesus and his lineage came through, Leah, the one he wouldn't have preferred. Rachel ended up being an idolater, hiding her idols in the midst of her camp. Leah was the one turning praise to God, thanking him for all of the good things and the challenges that he faced. Leah was the one who would have actually encouraged him to do what's right. But he preferred the carnal mistress. How many times do we do that in our friendships? How many times do we just gravitate towards those who are only going to fill our carnal desires and encourage them rather than turn into people who will encourage us in the life, the grace, and the knowledge of God. This is what he's talking about here. C.S. Lewis, he went on to say in that same quote, it is when two such persons discover one another, getting past the awkwardness, when whether with immense difficulties and semi-articulate fumblings, I love it, <laughs> or with what would seem to us amazing and elliptical speed, they share their vision. It is then that friendship is born, not just companionship, but friendship. And instantly they stand together in an immense solitude. Instantly they're like, man, we, we're starting to build our lives on actually what's important, our life in Jesus. Friendship is for the faith. That's what Paul, Quilla, and Priscilla found in one another but it's also for the trial. We see in Acts chapter 18 that they not only were spreading the good news and people were responding, but there was also resistance, as always, right? There was resistance to the gospel. And in the midst of the trial where they were being kicked out of the land, it's like people aren't always going to believe the things that you do, right? It doesn't mean that they won't ever, but for the time being, right? For the time being, people are in process, right? Anybody have some friends in process? Okay, so you have some friends who are in it to win it and some friends who are in process. 
Come on now, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Family members, friends, coworkers, their neighbors surrounding you. Some people who are in it to win it and some people who are in process. Now, how do we navigate that? It comes with trial, right? Because it comes with trial of misunderstandings. It comes from trial of persecution. And we need godly friendships to stand with us through the trials of life when things aren't easy and when others stand against Christ. We need godly friendships who are going to keep us during that time. That's what Paul had in Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and in Timothy. Why? Because your number one allegiance before any brother, before any sister, before any family member or someone who feels like it is Christ Jesus himself. That is your number one allegiance. And you're going to need to have people who support that in your midst, who support that in your midst. For the trial, whenever you have godly friendships in this manner, this is what gives friendship its value. It's what gives friendship its value. Whenever you see people who are helping you grow in the knowledge, the life, and the grace of God, it's what gives friendship its foundation based on the truth of God. When you actually have people who go with you through a trial, it's what gives friendship its value. Gives friendship its value for you. It's what Paul had. You better believe that in the midst of going from one city to another, eventually it probably hit against or beat against his soul. This is getting a bit discouraging at times going from city to city, seeing pagan idolatry over and over again. Not just people who don't know God, but at times having God-haters surrounding me. And I'm trying to take a stand, trying to offer them the good news of life and life to the fullest and eternal life to boot, right? And I need some encouragement. Well, good news, God gave him provision in the midst of that to stand and continue to push forward. Have you ever been discouraged in the midst of trying to stand and trying to share the life of God with the people around you, family members, friends, business people, anybody. Anybody ever been discouraged in that way before? But let me tell you something. When you receive the friendship and the gift of God in the midst of the trial, the value comes forward. And you remember the purpose. You remember the, 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 the reward, the treasure for what you're fighting. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, listen, in the four loves, Alone among unsympathetic companions, I hold certain views and standards timidly. Tell me if this sounds like you sometimes. Watch this now. Amongst unsympathetic companions, not friends, companions, you need to make a distinction, okay? I hold certain views and standards timidly, half ashamed to avow them and half doubtful if they can after all be right. Come on now, people. Anybody ever been there? That's all right. You can give me a little nod. That's all right. I know the deal. We're in the real world. (laughs) Put me back, however, among my friends, and in half an hour, in 10 minutes, these same views and standards become once more indisputable. The opinion of this little circle, while I am in it, outweighs that of a thousand outsiders. As friendship strengthens, it will do this even when my friends are far away. Thank God, Instagram, right? (laughs) Right? You can post or Snapchat, right? It's like I'm connecting with my people. For we all wish to be judged by our peers, by the men after our own heart. Only they really know our minds, and only they judge it by standards we fully acknowledge. 
Theirs is the praise we really covet and the blame we really dread. Now, obviously, you could get real spiritual with me and say, well, obviously, aren't you supposed to care about God's opinion alone? Yes. Okay, yes. But in the same respect, he gives us natural inclinations in our relationships. And you need a friendship base that's going to be a buffer, that's going to be a stalwart for you in the midst of the trials. That is what Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila had in the midst of their trials. They were being kicked out of cities. They were spreading the gospel. They were spreading the good news. But they needed friends who would be anchors for their souls. My question today is, do you have that? Do you have that? And if not, why not? Because look around on your right and on your left. These are people who God is giving you to be that for you. It doesn't matter, once again, going back to the last point, if it's awkward. Everybody say this with me. It will be awkward. That's right. Look at the person next to you and say, you're pretty awkward. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You don't have to say that. Okay? You make me feel uncomfortable. Anyway, but like, confessions. (laughs) But it's the truth, right? There's value in the friendships overcoming these obstacles. This is what Acts is teaching us. It is not just telling you a history. It's not just a story to be breezed through. These are the principles he's sharing with you to shape your life. So it's for the faith, it's for the trial, and then finally, it's for the purposes of God. Now, in the midst of the trial, I'll be remiss if I didn't say Proverbs 17, 17. In the midst of the trial, the Bible says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for it. Born for adversity. That's the good news, right? These are the types of people that God's giving you. People who aren't fair weather friends, but born for adversity. When you're going through it, that's when the gift shows up. Anybody experienced that already? I know I have. Thank you, church. Hello? Thank you. I say it. On, my, on behalf of my family, thank you. And he wants you to experience it too. It's also Proverbs 19.22. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. That's what we all want, right? Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> Even if you feel poor and you don't have it yet, just admit it and then come get it. You hear that? Stop being a liar about it. Don't say, I don't really need this, or, you know, other people need deep relationships, not me. (laughs) Okay? Stop being a liar. Come get it. This is how God designed you. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. But he's got it for you in the church. That's the point of community groups. That's the point of us coming together and sharing life, having biblical fellowship with one another. And that fellowship leads us finally into the purposes of God. We all need people in life with whom we are on mission for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is what gives friendship its meaning. This is what gives friendship its meaning. I want that to sink in a little bit. It's what gives friendship its actual meaning. I mean, I, I appreciate barbecues and 
I appreciate sharing Pinterest posts, <laughs> right? But if that's all friendship is about, what? <laughs> right? Anybody ever felt that way before, though? Well, you know, going through, okay, one more, that's how I used to feel. One more party. Glug, glug. <laughs> all right, doing the same dance, same music, <laughs> right? All right? <laughs> Is this it? Is this it? But this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, final quote from him, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise. You hear what he's saying? Let that sink in. Though affection, of course, may. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Ever wonder why you're friends with certain people? No, just honestly. Like, why do we hang out? <laughs> like, what do we actually do together? <laughs> you know, that amounts to anything. He said there would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something. Even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes, come on Jamaicans, or white mice. <laughs> Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. I'll let C.S. Lewis drop the mic. <laughs> Friendship is ultimately for the purposes of God. And as we saw with Paul, Silas, Timothy, Priscilla, and Aquila, the purpose of friendship is to both introduce those who don't know God to Jesus and to reach those who don't know Christ alongside of those who do. To truly act in love, there must eventually be an intentional turning of the corner. An intentional turning of the corner for us all. This is where the friendship between Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Silas, and Timothy found eternal significance and meaning as they were on mission together for the purposes of Christ. It wasn't that they just showed up in the city together and they were happened to be tent makers together but they immediately turn their friendship to mission. <laughs> and so in the midst of the growing in the knowledge, the grace, and the life of God, in the midst of the trials, what kept them eternally bound, not just for a moment, but eternally bound. You know, one of the saddest things to see is like when people move from place to place as we're sort of a globalized community and we move about all the time, is how quickly the old friendships die or the companionships die. Anybody ever experienced that before? How quickly they die. And why? It's because of the fact they were based solely on convenience and carnal things. But the relationships that actually endure have their context in the eternal purposes and mission of God. So despite where I am, 
who I'm with or what I'm doing, that remains the same. And when I pick up the phone as an example to my buddy Reggie, (laughs) right? Some of you know him. He'll be with us later this year. I'm like, hello? He's like, you being holy? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) But we immediately pick up where we left off because we immediately have common ground off of which we're building all of our lives. How are the kids? They're good. Another scraped knee? Okay, yeah, cool. They'll heal. But you know what? What we're building on is something that's going to endure. And that's what God wants for the friendships that he's giving you. The question is, have you pursued them to actually build in that manner? To not waste your time, your energy, your emotions, and your efforts, but actually invest them in the things that will actually endure for an eternity. That's the type of friendship he wants to give you. On the cross, Jesus expressed the greatest level of friendship by laying down his life for the world that he loves. As we come to Jesus in faith and repentance, he then gives us a family of fellow travelers, his church, through whom we find eternal friendships. Not only does Christ give us family, but in those friendships, purpose, value, and meaning as we advance the kingdom of God together. Our appeal to you today is, number one, if you don't know Jesus, meet him at the cross. Come back into friendship with God. And if you do know Jesus, take the next step. Don't be satisfied with mere companionship, but begin building friendships, eternal friendships that will mark your life in the kingdom of God. Do not leave here today without taking that first step. We're here to help you, and so is God. Amen? All right, worship team, come on up.